please open your Bible over to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. The title of the message today is Serious Trouble for the Self-Righteous. Serious Trouble for the Self-Righteous. In chapter 1, we saw how unrighteous mankind can be and that he is without excuse. As we turn the corner here and come into chapter 2, we see how self-righteous mankind can be and that he too is without excuse according to God. We all stand, folks, we all stand guilty before God. And uh, I am amazed at the level today of those who are preaching and teaching how in fact, even those, the preachers and the teachers today, so many of them, because they've embraced this false theology of lordship salvation or discipleship salvation, they are spewing out incredible levels of self-righteousness in the demands that they make of people if they want to be saved. I was sent a, uh, a video, this last, actually it was a week and a half ago, of a, uh, a, a large ministry in California. And uh, one of the people on the staff of, of the college there in this ministry, he was talking about repentance. And he, of course, gave a false definition of repentance, which is the most popular ones today, that it means to, to turn from sin, to turn away from sin, to start going in the other direction. And he said, you know, if you want to be saved, you have to turn away from all your sin and uh, start going in the other direction. This is what this man who's been in the ministry for many years said. And I just wanted to jump right through my computer, which I don't advise that, by the way, (laughs) especially the old ones. Remember the big monitors? That could be painful. But I wanted to jump through and grab him by his lapel and say, hey, Hey, wait a minute. Have you turned from all your sin? Have you turned from all your sin? Well, uh, uh, no, no. Have you turned from all your sin? Are you living a sinless life? Because that would be the only evidence that you've turned from all your sin, right? But you know, folks, it's like they're untouchable. Like you can't, you can't get to these people to ask them these questions, and then, and then what they do, just like you know, the, uh, the left today in, in politics, they can't give you a sane argument. What they do is simply start calling you names. That's as deep as their understanding goes, is name calling. All right? Now listen, folks, name calling doesn't solve anything. What solves things is if we'll be honest with the word of God and personalize it, And we'll get a better understanding of what God is trying to say. And so as we have seen in chapter one, a lot of unrighteousness there. And then we move on to those who are self-righteous in chapter two, verse one. It says, therefore thou art inexcusable. Inexcusable, no excuse. How would you take it if I walked up to you and just looked at you in the face and I said, you know what? There's no excuse for you. Well, you'd probably be offended. I'm not saying it, God is. Okay, look at it. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, you judge other people, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Okay? Thou that judgest doest the same 
things. We see several things today in our message. The first is this, mankind is without excuse. Verse one, it's very clear. Mankind is without excuse. If you are a human being, you are without excuse. You stand guilty before God. You are a sinner. And therefore, without Jesus Christ, you are bound for an eternity separated from God in hell. That's the message of the Bible. Okay, secondly, mankind is self-righteous and therefore condemned because it is a sin. Do you see that in verse one? For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Now this is where people, you know, they kind of get rubbed wrong and they'll say, well, I don't do that. I've never murdered anybody. I've never done this. I've never done that. Yeah, but wait, Jesus, even in in the gospels, he went further then he said, no, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not talking about you being righteous in the sense that you just don't outwardly do things. I'm talking about you don't sin. It's one thing to, let's say, for an example, commit, commit adultery outwardly. But you know what? If somebody lusts in their heart towards another person in that sensual way, they've committed that sin in their heart. By the way, that's why the self-righteous of Jesus' day wanted him dead is because he was poking them in their self-righteousness. See, most of us, and by the way, number two, mankind is self-righteous and therefore condemned for it as a sin. Most of us are umpires at heart. We like to call balls and strikes on somebody else. See, when we judge others, it shows we know the difference between right and wrong. Think about it. In fact, we do the very same things we point out in other people that are wrong. We do the same thing. This is a very uncomfortable truth, but it is a truth nonetheless. Even though you may consider yourself to be a moral person, you still fall short because just like me, you still sin. We all sin. You might say, well, once you're saved, you don't sin as much. You know, that's a dumb statement. I'm sorry, it's dumb. You shouldn't sin as much. We shouldn't sin as much, but it's a matter of the will. If you sin at all, that's too much, and we do, okay? Oftentimes, the faults and sins we see in others are the very sins we are most familiar with. Why? Because they're the very ones that we see in our own lives, if we are honest about it. That's the truth of it. My wife and I, we are reading through, we try to read the Bible every morning together and we'll, uh, and, and I recommend it this way, by the way, couples, it's a good way to do it if you can do it. Read the Bible together, just get an easy plan, not one where you're, you know, having to spend hours reading it, no, just maybe a chapter or two a day. And then what I recommend, you listen is, you know, hopefully you're using the, the King James Bible. Uh, you'll listen to Alexander Scorby. You can listen to him for free on the internet. I'll give you the website. And so we read and we listen, and we're going through Job right now. His friends were very self-righteous. And you know, I just get so disgusted as, as we read through that, and I think of this man, Job, tormented and afflicted the way he was, hurting as bad as he was, and these guys were like attack dogs on him. 
going after him and telling him what his problem was and telling him about the sin in his life. Certainly you're hiding sin. Come on, fess up with us. You're wicked. You're awful. You're all these kind of things. And this man had so much he was dealing with in his life, the losses, the physical issues and all that. You know what we need to do? We need to just be there to encourage people. And you know, folks, just shut up. Honestly, that's what we need to do. We need to shut up and quit telling people why this is happening and that's happening. Now, if they share it with us, that's one thing. If we know something, then even that, you'd be careful on what you say. There's a way to talk to somebody to help them. But the idea is to help them. They weren't helping him one bit. They were only pouring salt in the wound, so to speak. But we do it, don't we? We judge someone's motives. Things such as, he shouldn't be so quick to judge so-and-so's motive, okay? We'll judge people and we'll say, that person shouldn't be so quick to judge so-and-so's motive. What's wrong with this? He shouldn't be so quick to do that. I bet he judges that other person because, do you see the irony in that? I'm doing the same thing. I'm telling this person is sinning because of this and I'm doing the same thing by that. What about pride? Well, she thinks she's something. I'm glad I'm not like her. What about discontentment? That person is always complaining about something. They need to learn to be content. I'm glad I just got a raise, but it should have been more. See, we criticize others and we're doing the same thing. Now, what's the bigger context here? It doesn't mean that there's never a time we should have right, proper judgment, okay? But always in humility. But the context here is this. God is trying to get man to understand, hey, listen, you are, you are as unrighteous as you can be. According to chapter one, we see all the things, the, the, uh, the degradation of society in chapter one. And then in chapter two, the religious are just as unrighteous as can be because of our self righteousness. I was visiting with one of our seniors. Uh, I was visiting with Wally Carlson yesterday and we were talking and he was talking about sharing some different things that were burdens for him about different situations, things he cares about uh, deeply. And, and, uh, and then we were talking about society as a whole. And he says, you know, I, he says, I, I really think, I really think when they kicked the Bible, when they got the Bible out of the schools and wouldn't allow prayer and all that, it says, I really think there was a change. Now, here's somebody who observed a lot of this, okay? Some of us were just living on planets in our minds at that point, 60s. You know, the only thing that mattered to me in the early 60s was the Yankees. I mean, that was it. I was a Yankee fan then. I was a Yankee fan then. So anyway... But we were talking about it, and you know what? I never put two and two together, but I said, you know what, Wally? We just covered that in Romans. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, that's an exact fulfillment of what happened when the Bible was kicked out of our school system. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. And then what happens to society? Society falls apart. And that's what we're seeing today. We're inexcusable, folks. You know why? Because we judge other people, we're doing the same thing, and we're judging them. What does that tell us? That tells us we know right from wrong, and therefore we're accountable. 
Verse two, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things, which leads us to our next point. Mankind will be judged by God's perfect standard, which is the word of God. Mankind will be judged. People say, well, who are you to judge? You know what? I'm not the judge. God is the judge. But he has spoken and his word is settled forever in heaven. And this is the way it's going to be. Whether we like that or whether we don't like that, that's the way it is going to be. From God's perspective, sin is not just an issue of outward actions, but it's also of the heart and the mind. God is the one who determines what is true and what is right. We all fall short of his standard because we all still sin. And by the way, even after you're saved, you still sin. It's not good. No sin is good, but we still do it. Sin, whether wrong thoughts in the mind or acts in public, comes short of the glory of God. And sin is to miss the mark. It's what the word means, to miss the mark of God's perfection. Verse three, and thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same? Do you see that? Do you think you who judge other people for doing wrong things and you do the same? Look at this next phrase, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Now, you know, if if a person had a half a brain, they would maybe start, you know, going like this a little bit at this point with a respect for who God is, with a respect for what's in the future. There's an accountability. Now, see, that's a question. Do you think that thou shall escape the judgment of God? The answer to that is no, we will not. Why? As we're going to see a little later here, God is no respecter of persons. He judges by truth, which is his word. You may be more moral than someone else, but you are still guilty before God because we still sin. See, here's the thing. God is saying, you need to be concerned about yourself. You need to be concerned about where you are in relation to Jesus Christ and with God. We tend to compare ourselves with others who more obviously fail in certain areas than we do, but we are all guilty. Have you ever noticed that, by the way? We always compare ourselves to somebody who is committing more heinous sins than we do. We'll never say something like, well, you know what? Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, that Jesus Christ... Well, look what he did. Yeah, look what he did. He lived a perfect life. We never do that. We'll always say, boy, I'll tell you what, that's so-and-so, man alive. I can't believe what they did. It's always worse than what we just did. Well, you know what? The fact that we recognize that wrong and the truth of it is, in fact, we do do that or will do that someday to some extent, at some level, shows that we are accountable to God. We are all guilty. Verse four, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, the goodness of God. What is that referring to? I can't help but think of Lamentations 3.22, where it says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions Fail not, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. Folks, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Do we understand that? And I say, well, I'm not so bad. We don't see sin like God does. He is perfectly holy. 
Every sin is an insult to his nature. Every sin, no matter how small in our minds, quote unquote small, any sin, any one sin is enough for us to spend eternity in hell. And God would be just in having us or allowing us to go there. He's just in that. Well, I don't agree with that. Well, that's because you're self-righteous. You don't think you're so bad. God says, we are. I am, you are. Hate to ruin your day today, by the way. I know this is not uh, exactly how to win friends and influence people or whatever, okay? This certainly doesn't come across as a Joel Osteen book today. Here it is. Man is blind to the fact that God is being patient with him and giving him time to trust Christ. That's what verse four is about. Do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance? Forbearance. He forbears. He puts up with. And long suffering. Okay? I think we need to say that word that way, don't you? We just say long suffering. Wait a minute. We don't do it justice. We need to say long suffering. Because that's what it is for God. It is long suffering. He puts up with us a long time. What should it do? Well, it is God's goodness and grace that offers us his rich and perfect salvation. But what is the issue here? Man wants to establish his own righteousness instead. He thinks he can be good enough, he can be righteous enough, he can be pious enough, he can be religious enough to where God is going to look at man and say, whew, you're impressive. Come on in. Doesn't work that way. God is looking for perfection. Anything less than that cannot get into heaven on its own. Cannot. Okay? Disqualified. Disqualified. So man is trying to establish his own righteousness, which is impossible because we are all guilty and condemned already. Now that last phrase there in verse four, it says, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. This issue of repentance, this is a hotbed issue today. All right, as I've already mentioned at the beginning, the word repentance here is a Greek word metanoeo. Okay, it means to have a change of mind, to think differently. That's all the word means. The word does not mean to turn from sin. Turning from sin could and at times should be the result of a change of mind, but repentance itself is a change of mind. Meta noeo, meta, another, noeo, the mind, to have another mind. That's what the word means. You'll look it up in many, many Bible dictionaries. We'll say, the first thing they'll say, the first entry, it means to change your mind, to think differently. Or they'll say, to change your mind. And then they'll give a commentary and they'll make the application of that change of mind part of the definition for the word. The two are not the same. The two are not the same. You don't believe, we've had people say this about our church. You guys don't believe in repentance. We believe in repentance. We believe it, what it says. It doesn't mean to turn from sin, okay? That's what has morphed. That is what has devolved 
in the definition of the word over time. The word itself means to have another mind. That is literally what it means, or to change your mind, all right? By the way, it is worth noting that in the three books of the Bible that deal most with salvation, the Gospel of John, the book of Romans, and the book of Galatians, here in Romans chapter two is the only time when this word, metanoeo, is used in any of those three books. The emphasis in those three books is faith in Jesus Christ. All three. The emphasis is faith in Jesus Christ, not repentance. Now you might say, well, don't you think repentance is is necessary? Listen carefully. Hear what I'm saying. It is necessary to the extent that you need to understand, you need to have a change of mind of whatever you were trusting in to get you to heaven, whatever you thought was your ticket in. You need to have a change of mind and understand that won't save you. You're in trouble. You need a savior. And then you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. That's how repentance and faith go together. And by the way, anything different than that, you're going to be adding works into the gospel that you can reform your life because they'll say, you know, they'll say, well, uh, it it means you need to, you need to, uh, 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 turn from your sin. And you say, well, you're saying you have to turn from your sin. That's, That's works. Well, no, you don't have to turn from your sin. You have to be willing to turn from your sin. Okay, what you're telling me then is this. I have to be willing to turn from my sin. In other words, I have to have the mindset that I turn from my sin for God to save me. That's what you're saying. Be honest, at least. Be honest. See, what does this all stem from? By the way, I changed that because of the static today. What does this all stem from? Listen carefully. People don't like this. It's okay. I'm 66 and a half almost. I don't care what you think. (laughs) Friend, what does this arguing about, well, you have to turn from your sin, you have to reform your life, you have to be willing, all these things. You know what it stems from? I'm glad you're sitting down. Self-righteousness. And I'm telling you today, according to God, for those who are self-righteous, you are in serious trouble. If you look anywhere for your salvation than the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did there for you, you're not going to heaven when you die. If you think you have to have faith in Christ and also have to do something with your life to go to heaven, you are mixing grace and works, and that is a false gospel. That is a false gospel. You might say, well, you're, you're kind of excited about this. It gets me excited, friend, because I don't want people to con- be confused. No, the goodness of God should lead us to a change of mind. See, when we realize what Jesus did for us on the cross... That should lead us to have a a change in our thinking to where we say, oh, wait a minute. God has done this for me. God loves me. God sent his son to be the payment for my sin. This is great. I'll trust in him. Okay. You know, the night I heard the gospel, no one preached repentance the night I got saved. What they did preach was that I couldn't earn my way to heaven by my good works, which is what I'd been taught up to that point in my life. 
that I couldn't earn my way to heaven through my good works and that Jesus did all the work necessary when he died on the cross, paid for my sins, rose from the grave, and if I would simply trust in him, I would have eternal life. And I trusted in him. And God saved me. No promises, not, oh, I promise I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I promise I'm gonna stop this, start that. No promises, why? Because I couldn't save myself. So why should I make promises to do something I can't do? How much better to say it's all on Jesus. And see, once you get saved, then God gives us a new nature, God gives us the Holy Spirit, and now we have the power and the ability, yes, for our lives to change. But I didn't have to promise anything before I got saved. We need to understand this, folks, okay? Verse five, it says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, I believe this is uh, a interpretation, well, that is what this is, where it says impenitent here. This is an interpretation rather than a translation in our text. Why do I say that? Well, because the word impenitent here is literally non-repentant. It's non-metanoeo is what it is. In other words, it means without a change of mind. So it would be better if it was, but after thy hardness and without the change of mind, you treasure up unto thyself wrath. In other words, if you don't change your mind and put your faith in Christ as your way to heaven, what are you doing? You're building up God's evidence against you. Sin. God keeps records, by the way. And that's not going to be a good situation. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasure yourself unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Now, let me just say this. The Catholic Church loved this verse. They take it out of context all the time, and they'll say, and they'll quote it, and they'll say, see that? See that? who will render to every man according to his deeds, verse seven, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. And they'll say, see that? See that? If you work hard enough and you're faithful enough, you'll go to heaven when you die. Well, can I tell you this? If If that verse did not have a context to it, I'd say we have a problem. But students, what are the first three rules of Bible interpretation? Context, context, context. Keep it in context. What is Paul getting at here? Now, there's some different interpretations. I personally believe, after studying this many, many times, I think verses six and seven is talking about here, especially verse seven, this is a hypothetical situation. As an isolated verse out of context, it would seem to say that we could be saved by works, yet we know that is impossible according to the rest of the Bible, which, by the way, we won't cover the rest of the Bible today, but we're going to look at many verses here in just a moment. We know it's impossible. You can't be saved by works because you have to be perfect, and we're already sinners, so therefore we're disqualified, which leads us to our fourth, fourth point. Mankind is sinful and not perfect and therefore needs a savior outside of himself. Now here is the point in light of verse seven. If you were perfectly sinless, you wouldn't need a savior. And so if you could by patient continuance in well-doing 
live a perfect life from the day you're born to the day you die, what would that mean? You know what it would mean? It would mean you weren't a sinner. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a savior. You don't need Jesus as your savior if you're not a sinner. But guess what? Chapter three tells us we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death, therefore we need a savior. So this is hypothetical. It's hypothetical. Hold your place here and let's look at some scriptures on this issue. This is an important issue. Look with me to Galatians chapter two. We'll be back to Romans two in just a moment. Galatians chapter two. See, there is no higher standard of rules, if you want to call them that, or good works, if you want to call them that. There's no higher standard of law, the commandments. That's very clear in scripture. Paul says, if there could have been a law given, as we're going to see, it would have come, righteousness would have come by the law, but everybody's disqualified. If you could keep the law perfectly, it would show you weren't a sinner. You're in a sinner, you don't need a savior. But we can't. And that's why we have Christ. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate or nullify or make null and void or lay aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He died in vain. If you could earn your way to heaven by keeping the law of God, then Christ died in vain. There would have been no reason for Jesus to die if we could earn it by our works, but we can't. Look at chapter three of Galatians, verse 10. It says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Think you have to keep the 10 commandments to go to heaven? God says you're under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that, look at verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by what? Faith, not works, faith. And the law is not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. You put yourself under this bondage. You say, okay, I have to keep the commandments to be saved. All right, then you're gonna have to keep them perfectly from the day you're born to the day you die. Can't do it, friend. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Okay, still not convinced. Go with me to James chapter two. Let's go over there. James chapter two. This is the heart and soul of salvation. Honestly, it is. This is why we're spending the time on it that we are. Anybody who thinks you can keep it, anybody who thinks you can be faithful enough, persevere enough, be good enough, your confidence is in yourself. You're looking to yourself for self-righteousness. And God condemns self-righteousness. James 2.10, but whosoever, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, the whole law, and yet offend, in one point, he's guilty of all. Guilty of all. Why? Because God requires perfection to get to heaven, and none of us are. If you were mountain climbing and you were using, instead of a rope, you were using a chain, and let's say that chain had 613 links in it, all right? And so one guy's at the top, he's got the chain, he's got it secured to the top of the mountain, and you're there, and you're, okay, I'm coming up. 2,000 foot drop. Number one, you're a nut. Why in the world would you do something like that? Well, for the thrill of it. Anyway, so there you go. 
six lengths, 12 lengths, 24. You know, you're getting confident. You're going up, you're getting up, going up, going up. What you failed to do, though, is you failed to examine all the lengths. And so you get up to maybe link number 203, and all of a sudden your chain breaks. How many links have to break for you to fall 2,000 feet? One. One. One failure. Okay? Friend, if you're going to keep the law to be saved, you have to be 100% faithful. Can't do it. That's why Jesus came. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ has died in vain. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We have them over here as well. Look at what it says. For by grace are you saved. Grace is unmerited kindness. Undeserved kindness or unmerited favor. For by grace are you saved through faith. There you go. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not faith and works. No, faith alone in Christ. What he did for you on the cross. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Not self. It is the gift of God Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do we see it? It, it, It's clear. It's clear. We can't save ourselves. Somebody outside of ourselves has to be our Savior. That person is Jesus. We thank God for that unspeakable, wonderful gift that he provides for us. Let's go back to Romans 2. Romans 2 in verse 8. Getting back to our argument. Okay. Verse 8, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, which by the way is everyone. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. Let me ask you a question today. Please raise your hand. How many of you have ever done something evil? Raise your hand. Okay. If you did not raise your hand, you have just done something evil. You've lied. And the thing that kept you from raising your hand is your pride. And pride is a sin. But it's okay. Jesus died for that. And he paid for all of our sin. And he offers you eternal life as a gift. Okay? Verse 10, But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons. Okay? Again, we see this. But no one does these things the way they should, which leads us to our fifth point. God is no respecter of persons. Simply put, God is not impressed with us or our heritage, by the way. Oh, we don't live in the South anymore, but I remember when we lived for a few years in the Bible Belt, you talk to people, if you were to die today, you know you're going to heaven? Yep, I know. How do you know that? I know this is going to offend some people. There are no Baptists in heaven. Only children of God. Okay? It does not matter what your label is, friend. It matters what you have you done with the payment Jesus made for your sins. Is your faith in what Christ has done for you? Or is your faith in what your label is? Okay? The truth of it is, whether you're Baptist, whether you're Lutheran, whether you're Methodist, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Presbycostal, um... (laughs) assemblies, okay, or cults, Catholics, or anything, 
regardless, the only way you're getting to heaven is through what Jesus did. And when you trust him as savior, you have the wonderful privilege to be a child of God. Man, that's a label to be blessed by. I almost said to be proud of. (laughs) I guess that's okay. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't boast in ourselves. We can boast in our Savior, right? Matter of fact, the Bible says that. I hope you see this. So, doesn't matter what your religion is, doesn't matter what your family tree is. I can remember years ago witnessing to a lady, very nice lady, and she said, yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die. And I said, well, how do you know that? She says, well, my dad was a preacher. You don't go to heaven by that because your dad was a preacher. There are no grandchildren in the family of God. Okay? That's like saying if you're born in a garage, it makes your car. Education, God's not impressed. Your income, God's not going to let you in because you make a lot of money. Your notoriety in the world. Well, I'm a big shot. Really? There are no big shots with God. Jesus is all that matters. It's when we come to the point when we realize we are helplessly, hopelessly lost and we put our faith in Jesus Christ and the payment he made for all of our sins, that is when we are born again. That is when we become saved. You notice that? Verse 10. But glory and honor and peace to everyone that worketh good. Yeah, but the Bible says here in Romans, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. If you could earn it, if you could be perfect, but nobody can be perfect, so that's... Not even something to consider. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 2.12, But as many as have sinned without the law. Now who's that talking about? The Gentiles. At this point, the Gentiles that Paul's talking about were not familiar with the Mosaic law, the Jewish law. Okay, we we in our country, in America, we have a Judeo-Christian heritage, Right? And we think in terms of the commandments and so forth. There there are many places all over our country, such as in the Supreme Court and other government buildings. I believe that's accurate, Supreme Court. I know some of the government buildings have the Ten Commandments in them. Anyways, here's the point. That's our heritage. But when you're talking about these people who did not know the Bible, for as many as have sinned without the law, those are the Gentiles, shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, that's the Jews, shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just, but the doers of the law shall be justified. I'd say, well, right there, it says, if you do the law, you'll be justified. Yeah, but look at just a page over to Romans 3.19. It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law shows us we fail and are in need of a savior. That's the truth of it. That's the truth of it, okay? Verse 14 For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or or else excusing one another. In other words, God has programmed into man this thing called a conscience. God gives man 
a sense of right and wrong, okay, to do what is right. There's conscience that is there. Even for those who don't know the law, you might say, well, what about all these countries where they do these heinous things and they're, they're into cannibalism and all these kind of things and they, they eat their families and, and all that, you know? It's like, the, it's like the missionary. He was there, he's having dinner with a bunch of cannibals and uh, he was there and he said, he said who made the, uh, who's the, Where'd you get this uh, this stew? And uh, and they said, well, who made this? Well, mom made it. Well, this is great. And they said, yeah, but we're going to miss her. Um, <laughs> folks, somewhere along the line in that people group, they knew it was wrong, but over time they became desensitized to the truth but they knew it was wrong because the law of God was written in their hearts. So even if you don't know the Ten Commandments, you still stand guilty before God. You still stand condemned before him. And if you know the law, you know that you fail with that. So those who don't even know the law are still accountable and stand guilty. The Lord has instilled moral law in man's conscience. Now, yes, he can... Excuse it, he can run over it, he can become callous to it, but that doesn't mean it wasn't there. Just like anybody who's an atheist, that's a learned position. It's a learned position. Every child knows God exists. They have to be taught God doesn't exist. And by the way, the public school system is really trying hard to do that. And those who know the law, the Jews will be judged by the righteous standard of the law. In that day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So what's the point today? I know we've covered a lot of ground. What's the point? Here it is. There is serious trouble ahead for the self-righteous. Serious trouble. And all of us are to some extent self-righteous. Either in words or thoughts. But the beauty of the message of the Bible is this. God has provided a solution to our condemnation because of our failure. He has provided a solution through the payment Jesus made for our sins. And all he's asking us to do is trust in Jesus Christ that when he died on the cross, he paid for our sins. If this is you and me and this is our sin, okay? Here we are. We are sinners. There's not one thing you can do to get rid of this sin as far as reforming your life. A payment must be made before you die because if you die with your sin, you're lost forever. Heaven's perfect. You can't get in with even one sin. You have to be sinless. We are not. This is it. Now, listen. So to promise or to say, I've got to make a promise that I'm going to quit sinning or I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Death is the payment. Promises don't pay for anything. Death is the payment that must be made. You either die yourself and spend eternity separated from God, or you accept the payment Jesus made when he died in your place. This hand representing him, when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself. By the way, he came into the world because we could not save ourselves, but he loved us and doesn't want us to end up in hell. So Jesus came, and when he went to the cross, the sinless one, the only one who ever was, who never sinned, therefore the only one qualified, when he went to the cross, he took all our sin upon himself. He did all the work. He did it all, leaving us nothing to do. He paid for it. 
He said himself, it's finished, paid in full. Rose from the grave victoriously. And he says, all I'm asking you to do is trust in me and I will give you eternal life. Trust in me and I will give you eternal life. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, I urge you to trust in him today. Does God want us to live good lives? Certainly he does. He doesn't want us to be criminals or bums or whatever you want to call it. Perverted people, no. But he is the answer to sin. And when you trust Christ the Savior, he gives you eternal life and he'll never take it away. Once you've got it, you've got it forever. Would you please trust Christ as your Savior today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.